Hebrews chapter 12, let's head there again uh, this morning. Now last week, Pastor Gina, um, our senior pastor, was here and just shared a phenomenal message on God our helper and uh, just spoke so much into uh, people's lives and what I know they're journeying through. And so if you weren't around um, last Sunday, really encourage you um, to listen to that message. But before that, if you've been around, you'll know that we've been in these uh, progressive thoughts in Hebrews chapter 12 that all orbit around running the race that God has set before us. And we've talked about the truth that that race uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 is a race of faith. It's about our relationship with God. So coming to church and doing things for our community as we're going to do when we do the Easter giveaway, all those things are good. All those things are things that we should do and can do. But actually the primary thing is our relationship with God and our walk with God and our intimacy with God. And so in 2022, our declaration as a church and as individuals is this, that we want to run our best lap yet. Amen? We want to run our best lap yet. So let's head to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verse 1 again this morning. Let me just grab a drink. And this is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So we've spent a number of weeks looking at some of those different weights, some of those sins that can entangle us. And we've been talking about how if we want to run effectively, we need to uh, just lay those things aside, throw them off our lives. And we've looked at uh, four, I believe. We've looked at anger and pride and jealousy and worry. And uh, we could probably spend the whole rest of the year just looking at things that we need to, to throw off. But I want to move on today to talk about another aspect of what it is to run the race effectively. And I want to talk about our response. Our response to what life throws our way. Because our response is so vitally important for us running effectively. If you think about a natural race, the response of an athlete is so important. If you think about 100 metres and that beginning point where they're all in the, in the starting position and the starter's gun goes off, how a person will be effective in the race will be determined by how well they start. Unless you're Usain Bolt and you're some kind of freak of nature who can run at an incredible pace and he could probably just stand there, look at his watch for a few seconds and then run and still beat them. But unless you're Usain Bolt, the way that you start the race, that response when the starter's gun goes off is so important. If you are a longer distance runner, and some of you uh, people like to run, I don't know why, I've heard it's bad for you, but apparently it's good for you. Some of you like running, I know some of you have done like 10Ks or marathon runs. When you run a longer race, again, you need to be able to respond. That maybe you're running and suddenly you feel a, a stitch and you're like, okay, I need to respond to that. Some of you, you're running, you feel like an old injury flare up. Okay, I need to respond to it. Some of you are running against a clock and you want to hit a certain time for the lap or the race that you're doing and you want to beat your personal best. And so you're looking and you're responding to the watch. If you look at your watch and you think, oh, my goodness, I've only done so far, then you're going to have to pick up the pace. You respond to the situation in the race. Just as a natural athlete has to respond to what's going on in their race, us in life, the effectiveness of our race for God will be determined by how we respond to what life throws our way. Because the truth is, daily, we are responding. You are daily responding to people, 
to situations, to emotions, to any number of things. And how you respond, because you will respond, even no response is a response in itself. How you respond to situations in life will determine how effective you are in running this race. Now, I know in my life, there's been times when I've um, responded correctly and well, and as God would want me to respond, and that's left me in a good place. I know there's been times when I've responded incorrectly, and I've been led down a path that I know wasn't God's best for my life. You are constantly responding. Now, I shared this a number of years ago, that once there was a situation for me and Kirsty where we responded incorrectly. Now, we're not going to go into some deep secret thing. This is, this is very surface level. But just an example, I remember that, that Gracie was a tiny baby, and I can say this because she's an ignition, so I hope she's kind of... She was a tiny baby who was in this, this Moses basket at the end of our bed, and we were those kind of parents that you just brought this child home, and this child is so small, and so um, you're, you're kind of sleeping, and then you wake up, and you're just, I can't hear any noise, so you go and tap the baby and check that it's still okay, and then the baby wakes up, and you get in trouble with your wife, and all those kind of thing but there was one night where I, I, I woke up and I needed the toilet and so I went to the toilet to do what you do I wouldn't explain that more and I'm coming back and as I'm coming back into the bedroom just a normal evening having gone to the toilet coming back to my bed Kirsty wakes up now normally her response would probably be to think oh Steve coming back to bed okay let's get on with life but in that moment being heavily sleep deprived with a newborn baby at the end of our bed, she thought the next logical thing, which was the response, there's a burglar in my house. <laughs> and so her response in that moment was to utterly scream the place down because there was a burglar who was entering with her newborn baby at the end of her bed. Uh, and so she starts screaming. And I, I'm stood there coming back into her, what on earth are you doing? And so I do... Um, what probably wasn't wise wisdom and, and good response, instead of just saying, Kirsty, what are you doing? My next response was to put my hand over her mouth. Because I'm thinking, you're going to wake the baby up. Don't wake Gracie up. And so I put my hand over her mouth, but now she's in this situation where there's a burglar who's come into her room who is now trying to suffocate her in this moment. I mean, I'm a deep sleeper, but I don't know what she thought I was doing in this moment where there's a burglar who's attacking her and I'm just soundly asleep in her thinking... And so I've got my hand over her mouth. What's her next response? To bite me and to bite hard and to chow on my hand. And so it's like, it's like she suddenly found, mm, this kebab's nice, and she's chowing down on my hand. I'm like, all I want to do is go to the toilet and go back to sleep. So I'm like, what, what are you doing? And instantly she kind of heard my voice, suddenly thought, what, what on earth's going on? Miraculously, Gracie didn't wake up. Now, this next part, I have apologised to my wife. And I have repented because my next response, apparently, I don't remember this, but was to just get into bed, roll over and go straight back to sleep. <laughs> While she was there sobbing, coming to terms with this trauma that just happened in her life. And in the morning I woke up, did you sleep well? I won't say what happened next, but... No, she, she responded correctly. But sometimes, now, that just led to an amusing moment, but didn't ruin my life. Sometimes our responses negatively are a lot more serious than that and carry a lot worse consequences than that. Other times we respond correctly that positions us well in life. And I want to ask you this morning, how are your current responses affecting your race for God? Because again, our responses are exactly that. They're our responses, they're our choices. You can't blame anybody else. You can't blame the devil. You have to take responsibility for your responses, but your response 
will position you positively or negatively. Let me give you a few examples. Your response to somebody else's success could leave you in a place of jealousy or in a place of encouragement. We looked at that truth for a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Your response to hurt could leave you in a place of anger and bitterness, or else it could lead to a place of incredible forgiveness and restoration. Your response to your own success could lead to immense pride or could lead to God getting all the glory. It's your response. It's your choice how you respond. Your response to trying something and it not working could lead to apathy and just giving up and regret. Or it could lead to a place where actually you see even more God's success second time around. Your response to your mistakes could lead to a place of guilt and regret and condemnation. Or else your response to your mistakes could look like you looking unto Jesus as the one who brings you forgiveness and right standing before your heavenly Father. Your response to somebody else's mistakes could lead to judgment and gossip and to all that kind of junk, or else it could lead to understanding. Your response to your feelings and your emotions could leave you in a place of, of anxiety, depression, fear, regret, or it could lead you to a place of standing in the truth of God's word rather than the up-and-down nature of the emotions that we're feeling in that moment. See, it's our choice how we choose to respond and to react to what comes our way. But how we choose to respond will determine the outcomes of our life. So today I want us to look in the time that we have at somebody in God's Word who had every reason to respond incorrectly, had every reason to react wrongly, yet we see in his responses that his attitude caused him to run the race in an amazing way and propelled him into God's will for his life. I want to look at the life of Joseph. So turn your Bibles, if you've got them, to Genesis chapter 37. If you're brand new to the Bible, Genesis is at the beginning of the Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, then the words will come up on the screen as well to help you in, out in that way. So we're going to be reading through this account, very well-known account, we're going to be dipping in and out of Joseph's life and his journey, and as we do, I want us to be challenged by how he chose to respond to certain situations. So this is what it says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob made a special gift made for Joseph a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain and suddenly my bundles stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way that he talks about them. Okay, so here's this guy, Jacob. He's a grandson of Abraham, and he has many sons, and, and Joseph is his favorite. Okay, this isn't sibling rivalry. Sometimes there's rivalry amongst it. Well, you're the favorite. We've always known that you've been a favorite. Everyone in this moment knew that Joseph was the favorite. In fact, if it wasn't clear, his dad gets a special robe made for him just to say, just in case it's not clear that he is the favorite, let me give him this. We're all level on this. He is the favorite. And Joseph has this dream. In fact, he has two dreams where he knows these dreams are from God. And we could debate this morning whether it was wise for him to share these dreams or not. Some would say he was arrogant. 
um, and sharing these dreams and prideful. Others would just say it was youthful naivety, that it was just excitement about what God had spoken. But either way, he shares these dreams. And here's what I want you to see. That he takes hold of what God speaks in the dream. He takes hold of God's promise. And reading through the following chapters, uh, and you see what he goes through, he continued to respond to God's word in a way that saw him run in the race of faith when others would have quit. He takes hold of God's promise, and he says, this is what God has said, and so he will see it come to pass. Let me ask you this morning, what is your response to what God has spoken? What is your response to the word of God in general? Because I don't know where you're currently at with the Bible, but let me tell you this. I do know that the Bible, the word of God, is vital in your relationship and your walk with God and how effective you're going to be in running the race. Now remember, when we talk about the Bible, that is God's word to us which in itself is an incredible thought, that God has spoken to you and continues, because it's not a dead book, it's a book that's alive and active. He continues to speak to you daily through the Word. In the pages of your Bible, we have God's thoughts, God's opinions, God's instructions, God's promises, so much more. And as we run our best lap yet this year, if we're going to run our best lap yet, then I want us to get to a place where we don't dismiss the Bible as some kind of book that we pick up on a Sunday morning to bring to church. Neither do you read it every day religiously to tick off the box in your Bible app. But that we're actually in this place where we desire to hear from God. Again, if we understand that the Word of God is living, it's active, within the pages of the Bible, you'll find God wants to speak to you about so many different areas of your life. In fact, every area of your life. Your health. God wants to talk to you about your health. God wants to talk to you through the pages of God's Word about anger, about sex, about your career, about how you handle irritating people, how you handle power, who you are, your potential in life, your friendships, your family, your money, your addictions, the cost of living crisis. God wants to speak to you about that situation. What you're seeing uh, on television about Ukraine, God has a word about those situations. How we deal with refugees, God has things to say about those situations. This is God's word to us. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, reads this way in the Passion Translation. I love the way it brings out. It says, God has transmitted his very substance into every scripture, for it is God-breathed. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives to you. So we respond correctly in life when we respond correctly to God's word. How do you respond to God's word? And I'm not talking about your favorite bits or the bits that you feel like are encouraging or the bits where um, God just demonstrates his love towards us. I'm not talking about those bits alone. I'm talking about how do you respond to God's instruction? How do you respond to God's challenge? Because how we deal with those things will determine how fit we are in the race that we're running. How do you respond to God's promises? See, when we receive a promise from God and we know this is God's promise for my life, do you know what? At first, it's exciting, isn't it? At first, we're we're like Joseph. This is what God has said. But I want to ask you, how do you respond when what you're seeing in life really doesn't match up with what you know God has promised? How do you respond 
between promise given and promise being fulfilled. When your life actually looks so far away from what you know God has promised. It's easy to respond when God speaks to promise. How are we responding when life still doesn't look like the finished promise that you know he has spoken? What will your response be in the meantime? Because in Joseph, we see a man who knew what God had spoken, and irrespective of what he was seeing, he chose to continue believing for promise. These two verses, one in Hebrews, one in Numbers, were written after Joseph, but it's like they're a description of who he was. He didn't hear these words, but he lived them out. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us hold tightly to the hope we affirm. That's a description of how Joseph lived in these moments. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Now, those questions are rhetorical because the answer is a big fat no. He has never made a promise that he didn't fulfill in your life. I believe it's a good question. What's our response to God's word as we run this race? Okay, back to Joseph. So he has these dreams. He shares them both. His brothers, to pull it mildly, aren't overly impressed um, with what he's saying. God has spoken in this moment. So one day he's walking to check out how they're doing, tending the sheep, and they see him coming. And they decide on a plan for his life. They put him in a pit, and their plan is we're going to kill him, effectively. But the plan changes when they sell him onto some slave traders who are heading for Egypt. And he gets sold to Potiphar, who was an officer uh, for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So here's Joseph. And I want you to see this. He's been rejected. He's been abandoned. He's been let down by those who were closest to him, those who should have loved him. And I don't need to tell you this because no doubt you've already experienced it. But in life, at one time or another, chances are you'll be let down. You'll be rejected. You'll have things done to you by those closest to you. How do we respond in that moment? Because how we respond will determine so much about the laps that are yet to come in our life. We can respond in a way that sees us in this place of anger and bitterness for many laps yet to come. Or else we can respond in a way that sees us set free and running with a freedom that God has given to us. Now Jesus spoke into this moment when he said these famous words in Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 44. These are some of the words that we don't like so much that maybe we, we've forgotten were in our Bible. This is what he says. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> now sometimes, you know, what's our response to what Jesus says in that moment. Because we sometimes think, well, okay, Jesus, I mean, I won't beat them, but can I just avoid them? Can I just go around the corner and not see them? Can I, um, you know, just not speak badly of them? Can I just leave it there? But Jesus says, no, I want you to love them. And then he adds this, and so often we just focus on the love part, which is important, but he says, and I want you to pray for them. Now, why does he say pray for them? Because Jesus knows this, that prayer not only changes the situation, it changes us. 
But we pray about the things that are important to us, right? We pray about the things that we want God's involvement in. And so he says, in this moment, pray. Now, let me just clarify. You don't pray that the house accidentally gets struck by lightning. You don't pray, because some of you are cheeky with this, that their, their car breaks down in the middle lane of a motorway on the M20. Lord, if you could just see to it, but that, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, pray for their very best. Pray God bless them. Not just as a saying, but God truly bless them. That's what Paul said in Romans 12, verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, but pray that God will bless them. That's not an easy response. This isn't the way the message paraphrase puts those words that Jesus talked about in Matthew 5. It says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Now listen to this, because this is about response. Let them bring out the best in you and not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. What is your response going to be? Because in life... If you respond one way, you'll find yourself way down and pulled back, or you can find yourself running with freedom. Okay, so back to Joseph. He's been rejected. He's sold into slavery, but he starts doing well. He's got an excellent spirit, just like Daniel, and so he's given promotion, and it is this place where he's Potiphar's personal attendant. Life is back on track. Everything is going well, apart from Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him and tries to seduce him. So let's walk into that narrative, Genesis 39, verse 6. It says, So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against my God. She kept putting pressure on him day after day. But he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one was around, and, she, and when he went in to do his work, she came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanded, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. So here's Joseph's next response that we can learn from. Now, all of these things could be a message in themselves, but look at the response that Joseph gave to temptation and sin. Because our race for God, in the most part, will be determined by our reaction and our response to temptation and sin. And so here's some of the things that we learned. Joseph took responsibility for his actions. When it came to temptation and dealing with temptation and sin, Joseph doesn't blame the devil. He doesn't blame others. He doesn't say, oh, well, you know, she just threw herself at me. What was I to do? I couldn't do anything. He doesn't go around blaming other people in this moment. He takes responsibility. Listen to what he says in verse 9. How could I do such a wicked thing? When it came to dealing with sin, Joseph doesn't make excuses. He takes responsibility. Here's another thing. Joseph recognized sin for what it is. In verse 9, he continues. He said, it would be a great sin against God. 
See, Joseph knew that sin always interrupts our intimacy with God. And so, although it may seem attractive in the short term, whatever that sin may be, it will always affect us in the long run. Joseph saw sin for what it was. As Paul writes, the wages of sin are what they are, death. So Joseph took responsibility for his actions. He saw sin for what it was. And then he moves away from temptation. He didn't allow himself to remain in that place where he could have a bombardment upon his life. What's our response to sin? What's our response when temptation comes our way? Because if we want to run effectively, we've got to take responsibility for our actions. We've got to stop blaming everybody else around us. Well, this is why I'm angry. It's because of what they did. This is why I I gossip, because my parents always gossip. This is just the way... It is. We've got to take responsibility. We've got to see sin for what it is. And we've got to get ourselves away from temptation. Your response to sin will directly affect how effectively you run this race. Okay, let's end on this one. One more response I want to look at from the life of Joseph and then we'll close. Because Joseph does the right thing here. He says no. He runs away. But he's accused In this moment, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of rape. He's thrown into prison. And so life for Joseph in this moment, probably as an understatement, doesn't feel like it should. He's been given a promise by God. What has happened since he's been given the promise by God? In the meantime, he's been rejected. He's been hurt. He's been betrayed. He's been lied about. He's done the right thing. And yet he's ended up in prison. This is scary. This is worrying. This is confusing for Joseph when he knew what God had promised. I want to ask you, how do you respond when life doesn't add up? How are you responding in those moments when you feel lost? How do you respond when you're worried about your kids and you don't know which way to turn? How do you respond in that moment? Which way do you turn? How do you respond when you turn on the television news and all you see is the, the death and the destruction in Ukraine, how do you respond in that moment? How, how do you respond when you're battling an ongoing illness and there seems to be no progress? How do you respond when you're waiting the fulfillment of a promise? How do you respond when you see your bills getting larger day by day and your wages being squeezed in that moment? How do you respond? How do you respond when you look at the bank balance and it doesn't say what you hope it would say? How do we respond? Because we could lose all hope. You could give up on God and what he says is true. You could succumb to fear and anxiety. You could head for for the doorway of escapism, whatever form that takes for you. You could head there. Many of you have done it, and we've been there. Tried and tested methods of that is the route of escapism. I'll just head down that route once again. We we could allow ourselves to be held back or tripped up by our response. Or else, like Joseph, we can trust. We can trust in that moment, even when what we see isn't adding up. I want to remind you of this verse. We looked at a couple of weeks ago, final verse for today. When, when speaking on worry, we, we looked at this verse because this is a very real battle that I know people are journeying through right now. This battle between worry and trust. This battle between fear and knowing God's promise will come to pass. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. 
says this, trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all of your heart. Do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know and acknowledge and recognize him. And he will make your path straight and smooth, removing obstacles that block your way. Let's pray. I want to challenge you this morning. Some of you are, are, are facing tough situations right now, really tough situations in your life right now. My question to you is, what is your response going to be? You have a, a, a menu of options. What is your response going to be in this moment? Some of you have been wronged. Some of you have been hurt. It wasn't fair. It wasn't justified. It wasn't correct. Okay, the question now is, what response are you going to choose to those people, to those situations? Some of you are finding yourself entangled in sin. keeps tripping you up again and again and again. You find yourself almost like a a fly in a spider's cobweb. You find yourself entangled once again in that sin. How will you respond in that moment? Some of you in this battle between fear and anxiety and trust and the fulfillment of God's promise are caught in the middle and you know God is just saying, trust me, trust me. I know it doesn't add up. I know it doesn't make sense. I know that it feels like it's been so delayed. Trust me in this moment. What will your response be to what God is saying? And I just want to pray for you this morning in this moment that you would choose the right response. But you know what? I can pray for you and I can ask for God's help and support and God's wisdom and the Holy Spirit's strength in this moment. But it's up to you what you do with that. Because I don't make the choices. I don't choose your responses when you walk out of these rooms. I've got enough responses and choices that I need to make for my own life. It's your decision. It's your choice how you're going to choose to respond in this moment, whatever area that we've spoken about today or a whole other area that, that you know you have a choice of response right now. And some of you, maybe you've been making day after day the wrong response. Do you know what the good news of the gospel is this? In one moment, you can make a turnaround. You can decide, no, tomorrow morning when I wake up, my response is going to be different to that person, to that situation, to that fear. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive. It's living, it's active. It's, it's there to speak into our situations today, Lord. And as we've explored different facets of Joseph's life this morning, and as we've looked at different verses, Lord, you have been speaking. Holy Spirit, you've been speaking into situations, into lives, into chasms where people have received a promise, but are yet to see it fulfilled in their life. You've spoken into situations of relational breakdown. You've spoken into anxieties and fears. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that in this moment we would choose the correct response. Lord, we choose to go in the way of your kingdom, in the way of righteousness, in the way of trust, in the way of peace over all these situations. Lord, I just speak that as these people head out today and into their lives again, this afternoon. Lord, I just thank you that something would have changed in our response. Challenge us, Holy Spirit. Challenge us, we pray, to walk in the direction that you would want us to walk. 
so that this lap of our race will not be another wasted one, will not be another hindered one, but this lap of our race will be run that we run with power and knowledge of what it is you want us to do. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your presence here today. Change us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, the greatest response you can make is one to Jesus. And so if you've never made that decision to begin a relationship with God, or maybe you've once did, but you've gone so far away from that, listen, we want to help you in that moment. And so if you say, do you know what? I feel like today I need to make a comeback to Jesus. Or, or for the very first time, I want to make a decision for him. Then what I want to encourage you to do at the very back by the We Are Family stand, I want you to go and speak um, to Mark and Glennis. And they're going to help you on that journey as you make that decision and pray for you and just equip you, give you um, some tools that can help you as you begin the best journey of your life. But Father, I just thank you for blessing over your people. Lord, I thank you, even as we um, take tea and coffee in this moment, Lord, I thank you that you would be in the midst of our fellowship. Lord, I thank you that as we just pray for one another naturally, as we just have conversations, that your wisdom would be shared, that miracles would take place, even in the tea and coffee. Lord, we know that, Holy Spirit, you don't end or you don't stop functioning the minute that we turn the mic off. Lord, you're going to be in our midst, we pray, in this time in tea and coffee. Amen. Amen.